back, Billiken fans. It's Zach Miller and Peter Hale. This is the Midtown Madness podcast. Uh, Pete, I think I compared our non-basketball guests to like working as an actor and doing like an art film where you just kind of do the do the things or bring on the guests that you want, you find interesting and hope everybody else does. And I think we've done it again this time. I think so. I really like the way you, you always frame it of uh, giving people the stuff they didn't know they wanted. And I think this is a perfect example. Yeah. This time though, we are bringing in two top performers on the Billiken track team, uh, freshman sensation, Toby Gillen and sophomore outstandout hurdler and sprinter Emily Nichols are joining the show to talk about their successful A-10 championship meet and give us a little idea of track and field a little bit more. You know, we got John Bell um, and, and now we're going to get the athlete side of things. So, so we're excited about that and we're going to kick it over right now. We are very excited to welcome these two guests to the podcast. Uh, first, we have a middle distance runner who has come all the way from Cairns, Australia to take the A-10 distance running scene by storm. He was named A-10 Rookie of the Year and took home the gold in the 10,000 meters at the 2022 A-10 Outdoor Track and Field Championships this past weekend. Uh, we also have a sprinter hurdler who not only set the Billiken record in the 200 meter at 2448, but took home the silver in the 400 meters. Welcome to the show, Toby Gillen and Emily Nichols. Uh, guys, this is awesome. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Yeah. Um, so you guys just got back from uh, from Richmond. How was how was the travel? I I got to imagine traveling with that big of a party is kind of a nightmare. Honestly, it's it's a lot of fun like all of us just hanging out in the airport. Like when we walk in, people move out of the way. Cause they're like, I don't know who the squad in blue yeah. is, but there's a lot of you. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was quite complicated, like coming back to St. Louis, like this afternoon. Cause our flight got in at, I think 1130, we arrived. Cause we went uh, Richmond or Washington to New York and then New York to St. Louis. Uh, and we arrived in, New York at about 11.30 with a flight back to St. Louis at 11.30. So we had to like rush off the plane. They held the plane for like, uh, I don't know, a good like half an hour or so. Like with all of us on this other plane, they shuffled us off and yeah, yeah. we got to the gate just in time. And Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Coach Bell is definitely very stressed all the time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of talked uh, talked to us about travel a little bit and how uh, how that's such a challenging part of his job. Although, I, I mean, I guess it's a little easier going from Richmond to St. Louis than from uh, Australia to St. Louis. That's got to be a couple more flights, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing that in like the next week and a half uh, again. It's you know what four or five different flights. How much was like, your flight? Like three k, you said. <laughs> yeah, it was like it's. It's ridiculous. Wow. And I guess the uh, the frequent flyer miles don't uh, you can't use them because you're using like Qantas or Qantas, yeah, yeah, Qantas, and then to American Airlines and then to Delta or whatever, and yeah. It's, ah. it's ridiculous. So, uh, so Coach Bell talked a little bit about your recruitment and how you know just how quick it was from the first introduction that was kind of unexpected to the time that you showed up on campus. Actually, not that long ago. 
What was that like from your perspective? Were you being recruited by anyone else or did this just, did you just suddenly chase this new opportunity that popped up? Well, so in 2020, I was, um, I got a bit of attention from a few other universities. Uh, for instance, like Drake University, Gonzaga. Um, there's like CBU over in California. Um, and I was talking to them nonstop throughout like 2019, 2020, after I like graduated school and everything. And anyway, of course, COVID came in and pretty much, I mean, you guys probably know, you know, with all the recruiting and stuff, it got so hard um, trying to come over to the US and then all the scholarship money kind of got cut off as well. Right. Uh, so I wasn't able to come in 2020 and then I kind of just gave up on the dream of like college, American college. Um, and then I went to university last year in Australia with like, I mean, no hope in coming like a collegiate runner, but um, then my mate uh, who Bell talked about in the last podcast of yours, I'm pretty sure Harrison Martinenko, who's uh, one of my best mates. Um, he said to Bell, um, you know, end of last year, I think it was only October or September or something like that you know, very late in the year, he was like, I've got a mate, mate of mine in Australia who's uh, run some fast times and stuff. Can you give him like a, a look or whatever? So he did and here he is. And here I am. Uh, was it always about track with you? Um, or were you, did you get into any of the, uh, the classic Australian sports, rugby, Aussie rules, anything like that? I mean, look at me, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty skinny. We weigh the same. We weigh the same. <laughs> probably, probably. So, I, I mean, I've seen some of those the the taller guys in Aussie rules. Man, they they play. Oh no, yeah. I used to play Aussie rules a lot, but then of course everyone else grew. I was still stuck with running, and I just followed it on. Uh, we we have the we have the uh, the 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 classic slew soundtrack behind you. Yeah, yeah. it's really I hear that. Our our listeners are going to be a little. Are they going to get a little nostalgic kick? Yeah. Right. Uh, exactly. You know, um, you know, uh, Emily. First, congratulations on your accomplishments this season. Um, but how did the team and coaching staff? We talked a little bit about the COVID uh, situation, but uh, how did you personally, the team, and then the coaching staff handle the canceled season? Were you able to access a track for most of the time? I mean, I know initially it probably was really hard, but how did you kind of keep yourself motivated? It was hard. I was hurt last year as well. So training was kind of like put on hold for me. And when I, when I did train, it was like on a bike in a boot. Um, and we all had masks on even at the track. And when I returned back to practice, like later in the spring, um, we did have to wear masks outside, which was definitely very difficult. I'm not, I don't have a problem with wearing masks like ever, but when I'm trying to breathe like pretty heavy and running really fast, like it, it does get in the way. It was pretty difficult. Uh, you mentioned training. And by the way, I completely agree. It is very difficult running in a mask, no matter what anybody will tell you uh, or cycling or whatever you're doing. But um, I'm curious about the training because you did mention you're injured and, and coming back from an injury. Um, I, I have a, just enough knowledge to be dangerous about training for distance running. But as far as running for sprinting, it, how much of the training is weights and power 
versus you know uh the form of it all um definitely weight training is something that like is very focused on for us because a lot of the like power and strength that we need is found like in the weight room thankfully we have honestly like great strength coaches like especially yeah. this year we like upped it up and that was like like a huge part in my success was I just gained so much power that I like didn't have before because we were like able to hit the weight room like consistently unlike in COVID like we couldn't go in the weight room sometimes because it was like canceled it was inside we would have to li like lift in these random like parking garages and like we weren't getting like efficient lifts like whatsoever and so this year like now without like lifting without masks on especially like having consistent lifts like three times a week out of season two times a week in season like it's been so helpful what about for you toby i mean is there is there really any uh like weight training behind what what more distance runners do or is it is it all about kind of the nutrition and and more of the conditioning side yeah i mean so we do we do lift twice a week as well um for my kind of events like the 5k the 3k the 10k um it's not as much it's like for instance the the other boys on the team on the 1500 and the 800 they do a lot more weight training because it's more power based and you know shorter distance and uh whatever so for me it's kind of i do all the same stuff uh that those boys do um but it's just you know lighter weights kind of easier on the body, I guess, because you've got to be running at least 100K to 120 kilometers, which is, I don't know, what, 60, 70 miles right. or so a week. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, you know, like what pull-ups and lots of body weight stuff, lots of our core as well. So, yeah, we're in the gym twice a week, but it's not as, I mean, it's not as much as Emily here. <laughs> Uh, coach Bell said he hadn't had much of a chance to, you know, kind of coach you since you arrived, since it was kind of a whirlwind uh, situation. Uh, is this still the case or have you had some time to get with him and kind of uh, get on the program, so to speak? Um, yeah, I've sat down with him um, a couple of times and uh, talked about training and types of sessions I previously did when I was in Australia with my coach. Um just kind of like fine tuning my training plan and stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm on his, I'm on all his sessions at the moment. Um, I mean, now it's the end of the season, not so much, but we'll going through it, uh, going into summer, we'll, we'll all have a training plan that we've got to follow throughout the summer until we get back for crossy season. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I have, I have worked with Bell uh, for our training plan. So what does what does summer training look like? Is it a little bit uh, lighter for you guys, or or is it? Uh, is, are they trying to keep you at kind of an even level all year long? Um, so like throughout track season, indoor and outdoor, it's you know 70, 60, 70, 80 miles a week, kind of around that distance, um, and then it's two sessions, three sessions a week, um, and that's speed and. Uh, you know, reps as well. But going into summer, it's going to be 100 miles a week. Um, not as many sessions, but it's just trying to build up the base 
of uh, or the accumulation of the kilometers and the mileage um, for what is it, three months or so um, until we get back. One of our favorite uh, topics we like to discuss with our guests is uh, travel. And we talked a little bit about travel and, and how, you know, it can be a bit of a nightmare, but you said it's kind of fun. Um, do you have any stories of just absolute debacles on the road of like oh, yeah, logistics and, and can you share them and what do you got? Either one of you, I don't, whoever wants to go. Emily can tell this one because oh, she you. was at <laughs> Stanford. Oh, um, oh my goodness. So we went to Stanford, I think a couple months ago, this was in the beginning of our outdoor season and it was such it was such a fun trip. We got there okay. Everything was great. We had such a good trip. Everyone ran like pretty good for the beginning of our outdoor season. On the way back, um, we were in the San Francisco airport and we got there at what, like five in the morning, four in the morning, I, I would say. And then we get there and somebody like one of our teammates checks like our flight status and it said canceled. And there's there was what, 13 of us who went to Stanford. Mm. So when we saw it was canceled, we were like, uh-oh so <laughs> coach bell parks the van that we were in comes inside and he's like it's canceled what's going on and he goes and he does his coach thing uh everyone else goes to sit down because we're like exhausted half of us fall asleep like in on the floor like we're, we're all just like we just honestly there's so much of us we just like camp out somewhere and we're all just like on the sleep on on the airport floor like asleep like we're like nudging each other, like wake up, like it's time to go somewhere else. And so he's like just calling people by name, like Jackson, Harrison, Toby, like just calling like people. And um, we're like, what is he doing? And he's giving us like, he's giving them like tickets. Just like, he's trying to get us, get them like to any airport ever. Cause the next flight out wasn't for like two or three days after the fact. So he was just giving us like random tickets. And then we were like, Bell, like, how do we know that this is going to be like going to this? He was like, it's a layover. Like you have to fly standby at the next place where that you get to. Oh, and man. we were just like, okay. <laughs> so he like gives some people, he gives all the responsible people the tickets first. That, yeah. But like, which one of you, do both of you fall on the responsible side? Maybe not us. Because <laughs> there was people that, so that happened on Sunday morning. There was people that what came back on Sunday afternoon, and then a lot of the other people came back on Monday. Yeah, he got back before we did because he was on a different, like he competed on, on the first day yeah. and not the second day, so he left on the second day. But I competed in the four hundred on the first day and the two hundred on the second day, so I had to stay the entire second day, and we left like that next morning and that's when it all like went to shambles so he was already back but you also but yeah had like ours was also yeah. delayed by hours as well and we got back on like sunday morning at yeah. 3 4 a.m about 5 a.m in the morning as well so like that whole weekend was shambles for the flights mm -hmm. like i'm pretty sure it was all over the news as well there was like thousands of flights that got canceled that one weekend yeah i have so many pictures of coach bell like sitting there like <laughs> Like so many pictures of him being like, so distraught the whole time. I guess it's a good thing you uh, you only took thirteen on that on that yeah, uh, exactly. trip. When 
this morning when we were delayed and we almost missed our connecting flight to St. Louis, I was having flashbacks. I was like, we're gonna not make this next flight and then we're not gonna get out of here except this time it'll be all 55 of us that came yeah. on this trip. And I was like, I have a headache for Coach Bell right now. And I was like, that's not my problem. So, so how does that work in terms of like how many you travel for a given event? Are you like, are you invited to bring so many spots to certain events or is it, how does that work? Most like invitational meets, like big ones, like we went to Drake, we went to Kentucky, um, Stanford, Stanford, um, and with conference, it's a little different. We have like, it's basically whoever I coach Bell thinks would compete well at our conference and he'll bring those people and it's also top four as well like from our team it's top four if we have four in the event sprinters we don't have four yeah so like the distance team it, it uh some people get cut um gotcha just because there's a more than four in each event for like the 10k or the 5k or the 1500 or the eight as well so yeah so it's four so I have a I have a buddy who who ran at SLU. Shout out Scott Vicker. Um, but uh he uh he always talked about the Drake relays. Um tell tell us about this event, because it is like legendary. Honestly, I, I, he's he's never really gone into more detail, so I need I need some details. I think is he from Iowa by chance? Yes, yes. Okay. I that's so funny because all of our teammates from Iowa, like they competed there in high school. So it's like nostalgic for them. Like they like came back in college and they were like super excited. I went there, it was very hyped up by the the yeah. Iowa people. Like I, my she's throwing were, shade uh, at the Drake relays. <laughs> I, I would say that we both went to Stanford and like Kentucky and Drake. And, this year at Drake, the weather was very, very yeah, bad. The weather it was so bad. Like nobody just... ran well because like the wind was terrible. It was raining. But when we were in California, like we all ran like fantastic. Like the, the weather, weather was, was perfect, great. Like... And it was a very, very big meet as well. And the energy was just there. And at Drake Relays, I felt like the energy was there, but it was definitely like not as, it was, I feel like hyped up too much almost it was also like super, like super bad yeah like windy like, like the movie super bad right yeah. Just, yeah yeah i feel like i feel like because we had been to like a meet like that before we expected something bigger than that yeah. but like it was definitely very very cool seeing like olympians like gold medalists like it was mm. amazing watching those people i definitely felt like humbled because i was like man like I, it was, it was a funny feeling. I was like, I, I just feel like I just don't belong here. Cause, but I mean, obviously we got into the meet, so we did belong there. And I think that's like coach Bell's purpose is he wants to bring us to those meets and like show us like all these amazing people and that like. But plus put slow out there as well. Yeah. A bit more attention. Yeah. Um, kind of put a name for ourselves as well, which is good. Cause, um, when we were at Stanford, there was a few people or whatever that came up and said that they were like interested in SLU after seeing all of us run. Um, so yeah, the word's getting out there, you know, mm -hmm. spreading. Yeah, we're definitely, like, Scott. 
a smaller like running d1 running program like and like definitely newer than a lot of the running programs out there so i think the words up and coming up right? and coming. That's right. <laughs> yeah so so you mentioned seeing olympians there uh any any standouts any anybody that you know like was super exciting to see definitely a 400 hurdler um she i'm pretty sure she did have the world record in the 400 hurdles at one point until sydney mclaughlin took it over but watching her race was was amazing she was she did not let that weather slow her down she she ran like an all-time best there it was it was amazing there was also another like male 400 hurdler that was also yeah. incredible um i can't remember if christian coleman was there or not i don't think so that was at kentucky we did see christian coleman uh get a a third in the world time at kentucky as well hmm. so um, i don't know about any distance people i honestly don't really know a lot of distance runners if i'm being yeah no there's a few there's a few boys there um that competed at tokyo olympics as well um some of the boys that like we know um like there's a guy from new zealand who's a new zealand uh, olympian that i used to race back in australia and stuff so like it's pretty cool seeing some people you know transition from you know that you know school kind of area and kind of group and then you know you've seen them at drake relays racing the open 1500 and or you know going to tokyo olympics and stuff so it's pretty cool just seeing yeah those types of people there there was people went in the warm-up area, like the professional and the college athletes warmed up in the same area, different than the high school. And I'm pretty sure there was also middle school athletes as well at Drake Relays. Mm. And there were the professional USA coach. Like I heard him like yelling at some like college girls because they were like in the way. And it was a very, very small concourse. There's no way that you can just like like not be in the way of someone at some point like especially when people are trying to sprint or like do hurdles down this like little narrow area when people are like running back and forth they're trying to do blocks they're trying to just get their like warm-up in and this usa coach started yelling at some girl from iowa state and like i just saw the iowa state coach like be like you guys are not special like it was it was kind of it was crazy but yeah it was <laughs> It made me feel like they were like one of us at some point as well. So like, right? They're not like they're not like above any of us. Uh, you they talked are. about the you, <laughs> you <laughs> talked about the weather. Um, how how much do you take into it? Like, what is where does the strategy change? Um, and either one of you can take it. Uh, how does the strategy change? Uh, footwear. Is there any change based on whether it's rainy, cold, any of that? Does your warm up change? I mean, what all goes into that, those decisions? You warm yeah. up. It's honestly like up to the athletes. I mean, obviously, like Coach Bell is like, wear your warm ups. And I wear like leggings, my sweatpants, a long sleeve, a hoodie, and my jacket. Like, I, that's what I did yesterday at conference because it was 45 degrees and raining. And also we, you warm up for like longer. So you're like actually really sweating by the time you like have to get on the line. So. Mm. Well, yeah. And plus like, for instance, at the slew, slew track, I don't know if you guys remember 
been there. Like, it's seriously windy. Like, it's open. There's nothing. There's oh, nothing blocked. There's, there's nothing. There's no open. coverage at all. So, like, when we're training over there, it's a nightmare. Like, if if you saw me like the other day, like, you know, I'm swearing at the wind at the top of my like voice just because I'm so like just pissed off with the wind and the conditions and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you take into consideration the weather a lot. Um, like a conference with the wind in the 5K, um, this is what the teammates and I uh, figured out that they were doing the 5K, which was they were running 200 metres into the wind at like 35 seconds. Um, and then the second 200 of the four or the lap uh, was then like a, a 32 or whatever. So they were like playing it into the wind, you know, going slower in the wind and then speeding up around uh, the last 200 um, you know, to go faster, to use the, the tailwind. Um, so there's a lot of like strategy that kind of goes into it as well. Um, and of course, um, you know, in the, in the 10K, for instance, when it's a, a long pack uh, that forms um, with people, you just try and jump in behind everyone so you can use them as shields. Use them as right. shield. Yeah. So they take the wind. So yeah, it's oh, a lot God. of strategy. We're, with sprinting, there's no strategy. You're all in your own lane and you just got to just go as fast as you can into the wind. And then when you come back around, it's at your back and just take it, take it as you can. So of all the elements, is wind the biggest enemy? You're yeah. Oh, yeah. More yeah. than cold or rain or anything else? I would say wind. Cold, you can warm up and rain, it's rain. Rain. I honestly like running in the rain sometimes. It makes me feel like like I'm in a movie. Like <laughs> in an epic sometimes. Like, I, I, I feel hard. Yeah, yeah, it's cinematic. But the wind, you just, especially for running, like, it's you can't. Like there's only so much you can do when you're running straight into the wind, you're going to slow down and it's just going to make your time slower. Plus it fatigues you as well. Yeah. It just, yeah. yeah. So. so, so what are your plans from here on out? Um, you know, Toby, you're, you're just finishing up your, your freshman year and congrats on the, uh, you know, a 10 rookie of the year award. Thank you. And then Emily, you, you're a, a junior academically, but I guess, do you have kind of a COVID bonus year? So, yeah, so, so here. both of you, what are you, uh, what are your plans from here on out? Um, I am finishing school. I'm a medical lab science major. So I'm going to graduate after next year and I'm looking at grad school here at SLU as well to maybe use my COVID year for some eligibility. So. Nice. What about you, uh, Toby? So, I mean, it's not even been a year yet. It's been like, what, four, four months or whatever, three months that I've been here. Um, so, yeah, I'll be going back to Australia for the summer, um, training the whole time, come back in August, start crossy season back up. Um, and pretty much, yeah, get racing again. Because um, I'm wanting to, like, go to, like, the NCAAs and the – get to regionals and kind of tick off those goals. Um, so the sum, this summer is going to be probably a big training block um, for me, pretty much. Um, so that's kind of my goals and, Tell yeah. 
I'm not running for a little bit. I don't have to do cross country. So yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your summer. Have fun with that one. You cannot catch me running longer than 400 meters. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, the summer, uh, enjoy the weather out there. Obviously, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on and joining thank you and, and thank you for having us yeah providing perspective on uh, on track and field for for people that may not be able to uh to follow it as closely as say basketball or baseball so uh thank you guys again and uh hopefully we'll uh we'll be talking to you next year when you know you 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 both make the ncaa tournament sure sure thank you very Congrats much on a good season good luck thank you guys thank you, thank you. pete uh they were great. They, they like, they, I think, I think they just were like, I, I people care about track and field <laughs> and, and we're like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like they said, it's, it's a, it's a program on the rise, getting the word out there and we want to help them do that any way we can. We love coach bell and, uh, you know, the direction he's got the program going in, like they said, it's kind of a smaller D one program, but you know, they're young and they're coming back and, that's that's promising. I mean, he was just a ten rookie of the year, and and we just saw, uh, you know, Rhode Island win a fourth straight title on the men's side, and uh, you know, there's a few women's programs that are kind of the top tier, um, but but Sloop kind of has an opportunity to really move up, and um, if they if they can stack a couple more classes um, of athletes like this behind these these two, um, we're going to be in pretty good shape moving forward. Yeah, I, I love their like. They, their ambition man like toby's like i i want to make the ncaa tournament i or the, the ncaa meet like yeah. i want to go after like he's got these goals laid out and and that's exciting um i i i really impressed really impressed by his his ambition and and his kind of uh just do whatever it takes you know it how hard is that to just you almost he almost gave up on you know being a college athlete here in america mm. and found his path and now he's making the most of it yeah yeah from a guy who just finished uh with two medals you know this weekend at the uh the a10 championships and he's like yeah it's not enough and but also their confidence in one another right i mean he talks about like just her her ability and how good she is she she, she was like oh he could you know if the weather was better he could have shaped you know time off his run um they there's a lot of uh confidence in each other as teammates and uh and in their own abilities um so so yeah i think i think we're going to be seeing both of them at nca meets in the future yeah i think in our post recording little brief she talked about how uh he could have ran his 30 minute uh 10k at 28 uh, yeah so that's that's impressive depending on the weather and the weather i thought was an interesting uh interesting topic because if if it's not 70 degrees i'm running on a treadmill um <laughs> uh but anyway let's let's talk basketball pete because you know besides those interesting stories that we try to lay out for people they listen to us for our basketball look i don't know why they do but they do um the a10 uh has a net well announced but like we've known this forever the a10 is interested in adding a 16th team yeah, I think the wording was like open to it. It's it's one of those things that 
you don't you don't necessarily go public with unless you really want to like put the seed in in other people's minds and other programs schools minds um but i thought it was kind of interesting timing given all of the conference shuffling that's just happened um and and also the fact i mean you know 15 is a big conference that's that's one of the biggest and um 16 i think would tie them as one of the biggest conferences i know the sec is going to 16 and um i I'd actually have to look. I don't know if there are any others that are that big at the moment, but that's a really big conference. And uh, I don't know, what, I, what, what are your feelings on this? How, what would you think about 16? I, I think I, I'm not like, there's a couple hangups for me and it's what does 16 do to, what is having 16 teams do to strength of schedule? Uh, RPI and net, all this stuff, how does it affect the numbers? And does it give the conference a better shot at, you know, three, four bids? That's, that's an important aspect, I think, first and foremost. Second on my list, and, and rightfully so, uh, for most Billiken fans, is geography. Um, where are they coming from? Now, of course the East coast teams are going to want a team like Iona, a team like Charleston, um, a team on the East coast, North Northeast based Charleston, because it's a damn fine vacation destination on the <laughs> East coast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, our, our, but, our retired alums, uh, like that idea. Exactly. Um, that's the real reason Bonaventure took over Charleston. Don't anybody tell you any different. Oh, completely. Um, no. Uh, but I think I think Billiken fans would would be very happy about a Belmont. Um, uh, yeah, I mean Murray State was thrown out there. That's a little off the you know path of you know ideologically the colleges and the conference already. Uh, but I would, I would like, you know, obviously I'm so happy Loyola's in the conference. I love that there's a Chicago trip now. So anything that gives us a way to drive to a road game is okay by me. I, I will sacrifice uh, program strength for proximity. So I, oh, that's interesting. So, I, cause I'm kind of like, no, no, of... I won't, I won't sell out for proximity. Sure. But I would, I would weight it, you know, I, I, you on a weighted scale. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, the single question that I have is does this, the 16th program has to make the conference stronger. You don't just add it for the numbers. And I'm skeptical that Iona is going to be a sustainable uh, program once Patino's gone. And I, I, I have my doubts that their non-basketball programs are really that competitive. I mean, that's a, it's a fairly small yeah. school. It's a very small facility. Their basketball facility. It's still a college. It would be. It would be the second college in yeah, the with, conference with, with, da Davidson. with Davidson. Yeah, yeah. And, and Davidson has made the conference stronger. I think that's right. been a great a great addition. Baseball in, in, across the board. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I so I'm skeptical of a school like that. Um, and, and I've, yeah, I've, you've heard Belmont mentioned plenty people like Belmont, people like Nashville, they just went to the Valley. I don't know what the, the, the agreement is there, whether breaking a conference deal, as soon as you go there, is going to cost you, you know, how many more million dollars to do, uh, Murray state. I don't, 
I don't see that as a geographical or cultural fit at all, even with SLU. I mean, that's like, it, Murray State is like, it's down there. It's like, like it's, it's the far southwestern tip of Kentucky, like it's like south of Paducah. It's, it's really out there. Um, nobody from the A-10, uh, except maybe SLU fans, maybe Dayton fans are going to make it down there. But even from Dayton, that's kind of a haul. Um, it, it, it's really out there. The other, the other programs that I've heard talked about as a potential like basketball strengthening sort of uh, side of things, Wichita State gets thrown out there a little bit, but now you're talking about, you know, people think St. Louis is a Western outpost in the conference that really moves it out there. You know, Wichita is I mean, Gonzaga throw them in. Now that I would make an exception for. Yeah. Um, but which, I mean, Wichita is really out there for the A-10. Um, they're, they're not really going to drive anywhere, maybe St. Louis occasionally. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty far out there. And I know they're in the American now, and that's a pretty geographically spread out conference. So I don't know how they would view such a thing. Um, the other one I've, I've heard is Temple. Um, but Temple is one. Since that's the ex-girlfriend you never call. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, kind of. And, uh, I, you know, I think that ex-girlfriend thought she was going to be better off chasing football and football hasn't necessarily treated her, uh, uh, you know, like she deserves to be treated. Uh, I, I'm, we're going, I'm going way too far with this, but, but, but what I mean is. You that, haven't gone for, far enough as far as I'm concerned. But what, what, what I mean there is uh, they have been a really strong basketball program for a long time but not, not anymore, not since they've really chased this whole football thing. I think that's kind of where their attention and resources have gone at the expense of their other sports that they've been historically more competitive in. It also gives us a third Philly school again, which, you know, I don't know, it doesn't really do anything. Um, Market-wise, uh, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I liked Temple in the conference when they were here, but I'm not super excited about adding them back. I think it's kind of a, they, we just add back kind of a middle of the pack um, uh, program there. So, so I, I don't really know that there's an easy answer out there that like, Oh, here's the team. That's going to be that 16th. That makes this a stronger conference. Would you rather see, uh, improvement by elimination than, uh, say addition? I, so I'm less sold on this idea than a lot of people are. Um, just for the simple fact that it just doesn't happen. Like I, I just, I've, I've said this before on the show, but I, like, I don't see examples historically of conferences just giving a team the boot, um, no, no matter what. I mean, there have been conferences with, with programs who are just in the, the cellar in, in almost every sport for years and they don't get the boot. Some of them get sanctions or, you know, and other NCAA violations and they scandals. They don't get the boot. It just doesn't happen. I don't know what what makes people think that the A10 is going to go. Uh, you know, Fordham, you're not quite doing enough. Duquesne, you know, we like the new arena, but come on, you got to do better. You know, like, I what are they going to? I just don't see that happening. It's like uh, it's like taking an obscure foreign language in college. They're so happy you're there that they're not going <laughs> to fail you. I did that. Um, <laughs> It's a thing to do if you're in, if you're going into college, take an obscure language. You don't have to do good at it. Listen to us for it's, it's tips for success, kids. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, we do a podcast that operates at a loss. Um, 
Oh, this is what happens when we record on a Monday instead of a Sunday. Things go. Yeah, it's it's all off. Um, let's jump into Billiken basketball specifically. Uh, there's news on the portal front, but it's not like news we got to worry about. Markai Strickland found a landing spot. Kind of surprising. Yeah, it, to me it is because we, okay, you know, when you're at that sort of like nine to 13, 10 to 13 spot in the roster at SLU, you know, he's not going to end up in the SEC, um, even though I think he's got a sky high ceiling. Um, Which is I, why it was upsetting that he kind of transferred out. Right, exactly. I could still wanted him to develop at SLU. Um, but he wound up at uh, Victoria College. Uh, it's a JUCO in Texas. Um, and that that part surprised me. This is the second guy now um, in a row, or, we, or second year in a row, where we've had somebody who's done two years at SLU and then transferred to a community college. You sort of wonder, like, um, academically, I, that that's that's typically not something you see after two years. So, um, so I don't know if he wasn't getting, he didn't have enough credits to 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 be a junior or whatever either. Um, so that, that's the part that surprised me. I thought he'd find a D one landing spot somewhere. I know he, he visited Florida Gulf coast and a couple other places. Um, so a little surprising to see him go the Juco route, but, um, I think that the Juco style probably serves him pretty well. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I, he, he, like you said, sky high ceiling, but it's, it's one of those things where you hold your breath every time he puts the ball on the floor in a way. But then when he does do something incredible, you're like, holy hell. Like, yeah. that, you know, like that's what we, that's what we could use. But I mean, it's just not consistent yet. And I, I wonder if his development wasn't heading that way. Obviously, um, obviously he thought he was better served heading to Victoria Community College. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it was a the, the roster just never really opened up for him. Too crowded with uh, more more experience. Let's talk about the recruiting front. We don't get into it as much as as I think. I think I neglect it on the show, and that's my fault uh, for not actually like pushing for it. Um, but male male Crespin, I think I got that right. Um, he's got, uh, his schools down between the Billikens and, uh, Washington state. Washington state was kind of a surprise because, um, everything that we had seen and, and honestly, which wasn't much, we all thought it was going to be, we all thought it was a typo or a miss. Yeah, we did. We was like, Oh, we, okay. Stu got the wrong Pacific Northwest school. Cause, um, we thought he was going to Oregon state and St. Mary's. Um, those were going to be the other two that he visited, which Stu had said a week or two earlier, um, Stu Durando beat writer for the post-dispatch but um, he, he wound up going to Washington State too um, now I, I he did visit or- Oregon State I know that the only thing I could find written about him anywhere from an Oregon State source was their beat writer in the paper about uh, a week ago um, said that the staff really liked him and liked his potential he did post um, an Instagram story from uh, like Portland, like after he landed in Portland, something like that. And he wouldn't have gone all the way to Portland if he were going to Washington state because Washington state's back in the Eastern part of the state, he would have gone to like, you know, Spokane or one of the Idaho airports or something um, somewhere around there. But anyway, um, so I don't know if he had time to make it down to St. Mary's or not before backtracking up to Washington state, but regardless it's between us and, 
and the Cougars. And just as a kind of a reminder, he's a, he's like a six, nine, two thirty five. um, you know, young, stretch, stretch, really big, young, young 17 uh, years old. So he, so he is on the young, he was born in Oh four. So, so he won't be 18 until later this year. Um, he's, he's playing the sum, this summer for France in the under 18 uh, Euro basket, um, which will be in Turkey in the beginning of August. Um, so, so wherever he goes, he's not going to be on campus early. He won't be in, until mid August. Um, and then, you know, he did, he also kind of, we, we touched on this last time we talked about him. Um, college is not like, you know, his end destination, you know, like he's not looking at like a college and then NBA track. Uh, he said college is kind of his plan B if he doesn't make the second tier of professional basketball in France. He's a little young and um, I think it's what's called Pro B or something like that. Um, their, their second tier uh, of the, you know, because it's like a promotion relegation pyramid. He's currently in the third tier and, and eligible for the NCAA. Uh, but going to the second tier would make him a, a pro basketball player and he wouldn't be coming to college. Um, he said that was his, his plan if, if they wanted him, but it looks like they're going to hold off for now and, and, and that he'll go to college. Um, so I don't know how long his plan is to stay in the States, whether that's one year, two, three, I don't know. Um, but, but it's pro of some level is what he wants to get into as soon as he can. But you know, like we said, he's, he's on the younger side, needs some development, but he's got a surprisingly polished game for his age. I think, I think there's a lot of potential. Um, it's just a question of, you know, um, what his role will be and how we kind of fill out this front court, which is still wide open. Uh, Pete, we learned about a couple of, uh, names that, uh, through social media and whatnot, um, you know, kind of linking players to, to coaching staff here at SLU. Uh, any names that maybe we should be aware of that we're not necessarily tracking? And by that, I mean me, who doesn't put any effort into looking at recruiting. You know, um, the, the the coaches will follow players frequently, um, uh, you know, who are who have hit the portal or, or maybe who are kind of still lingering in the class of 22 and, and haven't found a spot yet. There's still, a, I think that, like, I feel, you know, again, we've talked about this, but the class of, of incoming high school and prep school players right now, way overlooked, underrated, under-recruited because of, of the, the glut of players still in college due to the COVID bonus year. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't be as affected by the transfers if so many of these guys weren't exercising their extra years of eligibility. So there are w so many players still in college who wouldn't be and who would be making room for these up, up and coming guys. So I still think there are some really good players to be found um, in the prep ranks. Specific names, I don't know. I, I tend not to get into them on the show until we offer just because um, it, it's really, you know, speculation um, uh, about how, you know, it might just be a matter of an assistant coach reaching out to a guy. Maybe there's not mutual interest. So I don't have anything super strong at this point. Um, it's like heard, my dating life. <laughs> uh, uh so so at this point not no specific names that i'll give but um if we do have like a tangible piece of information um we'll we'll put it out there on twitter or in the next show um i, I tend to hold off unless we've got like visitors or offers or stuff like that but um I, you know i i have heard rumors that we will have another big man visiting pretty soon so 
Uh, so once I'm, I'm comfortable with that, uh, with that lead, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tease that out for you guys. We talk, you talked a lot about the portal and the extra bonus year and the recruits that kind of the, how it's, how it's kind of messed up recruiting. How far down the line is that? Like, do we see this? Like it's gonna, this could go on for a decade where like, you know, players are, you know, transferring because they couldn't get to that school they wanted to go to because there wasn't a scholarship available, right? Like this could have a domino effect well beyond the next couple of years. I think when you look at the timeline, we're, we're, we're pretty much at the peak. I think class of 22 might be the most like, and we'll have, we'll have to see how the numbers play out in the end, but, but you're really looking at a four to five year stretch. That's going to be artificially inflated in terms of the number of, of players who are not leaving college um, right away. We had the, the, the first year um, and, and now I think this will be entering year three impacted by, by this. Um, so we might have kind of two years after this that still have some extra dudes. And really it's not the transfers as much as the COVID bonus year because the transfers could come and go all they want, but they've still got four years of eligibility, right? Um, it's, those, it's those extra years that everybody was given that are the ones keeping more guys in college and therefore guys from the to the 21 21 and 22 classes um who kind of got uh who got a little screwed now the ones at the top they're going to find their spots no problem but there are a lot of guys who would be playing at a higher level of division one um or in division one if they're not making division one or you know it's just it's a ripple effect that goes on down the line because you're talking about several hundred players a year staying in D1, like uh, frequently multiple guys on any given roster. And now we're up to about 360 programs. So you do the math and you can get to a a thousand pretty quick. So at any given time, you might have up to a thousand extra players or so in college basketball, crowding out other guys who can come in. That's huge. That's a huge number. So I, I, yeah, I think we've, we've still got two or three more years of this um, before we really see that impact fall fall off um let's talk about this new scheduling idea um it's basically bracket busters part d um Mm -hmm. give our give our listeners an idea because again i i have said multiple times i love this doing this podcast i love i love it but I long for the days where I just show up to the first exhibition game and, yeah. and I know what's going on at that point. So for those people that kind of live like I wish I could uh, <laughs> give them an idea of what this conference, uh, this scheduling idea is all about. So I, I think this was first reported by CBS sports and the way that they've reported it is, is that 22 conferences, we, th- we know there are at least 22 involved in the conversations. Um, they're discussing a flex scheduling proposal that would give teams back-to-back non-conference game um, in February, a few weeks before selection Sunday. So for one week, conference schedules would pause uh, for these games um, and the games would be decided by an algorithm that gives potential tournament teams, you know, stronger matchups to boost their profiles. 
So if we're looking like a tournament team in early February, we're going to get a game against another kind of, you know, maybe a bubble team, maybe a solid, depending on where we are. Um, so think about like those Boise State and UAB games and te teams like that were, who are kind of at our level this season. It would be those that are just given to us all of a sudden in February. Um, so, so it's kind of similar to the Bracket Busters concept. If people remember, like you mentioned, Bracket Busters, uh, which was what, about a decade ago? Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I whenever, don't know. Exactly. Whenever somebody's like, oh, it's like a decade ago, I'm like, no. Yeah. And then I, I look know. at it and I go, okay. That yeah, was, it's been a that little was while. about a decade and a half. Yeah. No. But, but, but this yeah, would be no. structured by the participating conferences who are using, you know, the, the formula, which, needs to be derived obviously but it as opposed to like espn setting it up you know what i mean so the the way that this would work i'm sure you, this will go well as well as the net and the rpi and well it, it, sure it'll it, go swimmingly with no issues in a way it's a way to combat those right because like you've seen the 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 power conferences continue to benefit from the net it really hasn't shifted um, things to make it to even it out at all and you still wind up with nine big 10 teams in the tournament seven of whom lose in the first round because uh, it's such a strong conference you're still you're still winding up with that happening back-to-back -back seasons now so this this way these these you know a10 mountain west and everybody down american valley everybody behind those conferences are saying what can we do to guarantee ourselves more good games so you're going to swap out two non-conference games from November, December. The conference is going to start before New Year's. And, um, you know, and then you wind up with more competitive games. So if SLU has to give up maybe, uh, you know, one bye game and one other game, maybe one road game, um, it probably would benefit us uh, by a, at least a few spots in the net to do this. It's also kind of making things more interesting because now all of a sudden you've got two games not on the schedule that pop onto your schedule in February. That's exciting for fans, you know? I mean, this can make it an event, the whole like kind of matchup show or something like that. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of exciting. And then teams who are, you know, everybody's going to have to, everybody who participates is going to have to give up games, right? So the teams that are not looking like tournament teams, you know, uh, lower level teams, they, they're going to wind up with games that are going to give them easy travel. So like more regional games, they're going to be non-conference, but it's going to be somebody in their neck of the woods to kind of uh, make things interesting for the fans and, and easy travel for the programs. I'm sure Matt Katie, uh, ticket director at St. Louis University is, is shaking, thinking about uh, the Iona situation from this past season. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned exciting how exciting was that Iona game? Like, I, I mean, I know that I've spoken to people who so badly wish that game was a weekend game. Yeah. They, you could have filled Chaffetz. That place could have been going apeshit for that game. Uh, because it was such a fun game, because it was such an interesting opponent, all of that, like, there were storylines. I almost wish you would, like, not so much even bracket busters like do it with an algorithm but like do it where like you know storylines storylines would be dope too like i mean yeah. sure we're getting into like vince mcmahon you know type <laughs> stuff but like that'd be cool like i loved the patino ford storyline 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Give, give a coach, you know, the school he just left or something like that. Um, yeah. I think shock a smart versus Texas. Yeah. There you go. Marquette, Texas. Although I don't, I, I, I doubt those conferences are participating, but yes, you know, that, right. that idea. Um, yeah. I, I, I think there are a lot of discussions still to be had and probably some, some stuff to be done. I think, there. I think, I think my idea was bracket busters, honestly. <laughs> well, I, I don't, ex- <laughs> I don't remember all the details of that. I'd, I'd have to go look that up, but I think this, the, the downside of this is it does remove two games on the schedule that fans can plan out ahead of time. And like season ticket holders know exactly all season long when a game's going to be, or fans who are like, ah, you know, I've got this penciled in on my calendar. I'm going to go to Dayton that weekend for a game, you know, like it's, um, it, it, it does make it a little harder to plan out, but it is, you know, hotels kind of exactly. It's kind of exciting at the same time. Um, presumably most of these places aren't going to be in the winter uh, impossible to travel to and, uh, you know, would have enough we'll, hotel we'll rooms for University whoever can travel on short notice. We'll get, we'll get the rainbow warriors on, on short notice. Yeah. Mm. You're going to have to <laughs> fly 16 hours or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's a fun idea. And, uh, you know, I, if this, if it doesn't happen in this exact proposed format, I, I think, I think something's going to happen along these lines to, uh, you know, as, as the non-power conferences try to, you know, strengthen themselves. Uh, speaking of poorly conceived ideas, um, the NIL, uh, the NCAA is retroactively attempting to police this and i think i think all of us held our collective breaths in uh the the slew twitter think tank or sluts um that slew was gonna get the shit end of the stick and end up being like I don't know for protecting themselves allegedly. Depending on what happened, we don't. We still so haven't been confirmed. But the Yuri Collins situation yeah. would come back to bite Slew and not Tennessee. This the the thought being that if Slew put an NIL deal together mm-hmm. to retain him, we would be the ones slapped on the wrist for that, rather than the school that probably tampered in the first place. Uh, which would just be like the ultimate slew thing. And it would be yes. the ultimate like non-power conference thing is like trying to stay competitive with them is what gets you busted. Um, it sounds like even if they are able to implement what they're threatening to implement, it sounds like this would not apply in that situation because he is staying on the roster. He's staying at the school. Um, so in this situation, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like it would be an issue. I do have questions over how feasible like this sort of ex post facto law would be. Um, I think probably anything that comes in before it that they try and punish is going to be challenged legally and probably not upheld. Um, I also have serious questions about the, the teeth that, that any such rules would have and whether they actually are able to, um, you know, punish malfeasance of any kind. So I, I, I have a lot of skepticism about the NCAA suddenly uh, becoming this uh, strong enforcement agency and this kind of stuff. I mean, they had a long time to put some guidelines in place and at least say, here's the letter of the law. Here's how NIL is supposed to work. Here's what you got to do. They did nothing hoping that states and or the federal government would put something together. 
and um and now it's the wild west and and they've made their own bed so uh you know we'll see what they do but i i have i have my doubts mark emmert has uh made it clear he does not want to be wyatt Earp. he is getting out of dodge what uh, what what a job by the way to to leave a job with eight figures having done almost nothing <laughs> i mean like just just I, in, in, incredible I, I need to figure out that level of failing upward it's 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 spectacular by, I mean, by you, the you way hand it to him by the way speaking of spectacular you are bringing the big words tonight um oh sorry too many big time big time words i okay all right hey no no i'm not i'm not upset by it this isn't like you know you know the paper where you got to write at a fourth grade level <laughs> you know we can we can get weird i'm uh, married to a lawyer so uh you know i'm always trying to impress her just in case she listens she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't listen <laughs> oh my gosh um women's basketball um a new assistant coach announced. I believe this was announced last week, but wait, yeah, th- did we? We didn't miss a week. I keep thinking we missed a week because we're recording. We didn't. Yeah. Um, Tradesia Smith uh, is following Coach Rebecca Tillett from Longwood to Sandwich University. She is, and she's going right to, right to the assistant coach role. Um, so she'll be presumably the youngest, or you know, the, the the third assistant, the lowest level assistant on the staff. Uh, because last year she wasn't an assistant coach. She was a point guard for coach Tillett at Longwood. Um, she played five seasons in college, you know, with the COVID bonus year, two seasons in Juco and then three at Longwood. And uh, she was a point guard there starting point guard. And so she'll work with the guards. Um, she put up good numbers as a point guard and uh, you know, just finished at Longwood with her MBA. So, um, so she's certainly talented and, and, and smart and hardworking and all of those things. Um, it's pretty interesting to go right from playing um, immediately to an assistant coaching gig and not director of basketball operations or player personnel or any of those other sort of roles. And I know, um, you know, not all women's programs have unlimited staff positions to give out and everything like that. But um, it seems like a pretty big vote of confidence from coach Tillett to, to bring somebody who just played for you and immediately have her as one of her three assistants. Uh, she's not the only one following coach Tillett to St. Louis university from Longwood. Uh, talk to the Billigan fans about Kennedy Calhoun. So she was a freshman point guard. Um, and she backed up the now assistant coach Smith. Um, she averaged 6.7 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, 2.2 assists per game. So when you see a transfer from Longwood with those numbers, you might not think like, Oh, this is a, you know, a program change or anything like that, but, um, I mean, we do have a point guard, right. And, and presumably she was next up, right. I mean, she was, she was backing up somebody this season, uh, who was a solid player. Um, and, and so I think the thought was she was next up coach. And and again, uh, a big vote of confidence from coach Tillett, but Zach, we are really seeing a theme to everybody she's bringing over, uh, be it players or coaches. Yeah, I, how do we feel? I, I uh, it, can, uh, <laughs> uh, it seems like uh, how we feel is ambivalent. I just don't get it. Well, we, explain, we know explain explain some anything to me. Explain something anything. I have, I don't, I don't see how 
it all transfers up. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're going to be in position to win the Big South. We know that much. But but what's what's the ceiling on what this does, right? I mean, like Co- uh, uh, Coach Tillett and Chris May have talked a lot about culture. Culture is everything. Culture is important uh, to them. Um, but um, it, it, I do wonder, like, what how much of that can you transfer? She's brought over now two coaches, one, well, two players, cause including um, her daughter who, who walked on at Longwood, I believe. Do I have yes, that right? Yes. Um, um, so, so she's brought over a lot of people already from, from one program. Um, but, but yeah, does it translate to the A-10? Cause it's, it, that is a big jump up, you know? I mean, look. I know we do sound kind of pretentious a little bit, but it's a real thing. It is, it is. I mean, she, she did a great job there. She turned a program that was nothing, that was brand new in D1, was horrible, and made them a conference champ, and first NCAA tournament, got a win in the first four, um, and really did well there. This, still, like we talked about, like their net ranking was not high. I mean, they didn't play a super strong schedule. You know, like there's this. This is a significant increase in strength, and so. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if she can combine, I guess, what she considers the strongest pieces of that Longwood program, along with the culture and the other, you know, her, her, her own system and, and her, her own beliefs and, and approach to coaching uh, to the whatever returning core there is at SLU and whatever culture and atmosphere and all of that that there is at SLU. It's going to be interesting to see if it translates. Um, but yeah, she's got a lot of confidence in what she had at the Longwood program. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued. I really am, am anxious to see her bring in somebody that's not long. Like, I think, I think I'm more or less like, I don't know if it's impatience or it's like, I, I want to see what she can do to prove. I want to see her start to like, to there's not results to be had right now on the on the scoreboard right but i'd like to see and and of course she did get this job in the like anytime you hire somebody in the offseason they're already behind the curve for recruiting right Mm -hmm. um she's clearly like she's clearly not bringing everybody from longwood because if she was those recruits would just follow her right so she clearly understands that there is a jump to be had as far as the talent level. Yes, we have players in place. Um, maybe she thinks she can get more out of those players than Coach Stone did. And and again, that's what this, this hiring kind of signaled in a way from mm-hmm. Chris May is that there's more that can be gotten from this program at the same level of commitment. Yeah, and and it is worth reminding people that she she has retained three of the four incoming players that Stone had signed for the twenty twenty two class. So so that that incoming class, those three players. So now it's now there's four players. There's still now we're back to four players in that class. With, uh, with oh never mind I'm sorry I'm sorry never mind that's well, well because in terms of sorry, incoming no, freshmen yeah, well no. but but we know she does have at least one more commitment because I I know yeah um, they've said- te- they've teased out at least two and we we found one that is going to be the transfer from Longwood uh, we don't know who the other is yet whether that's a transfer or an incoming freshman we do have we know we have room for at least 
two more incoming players. So, um, well, and wait, it, wait. Sorry, MST I think, was I think we have three. Did, MST was out training with the team. Oh, she was. Did she okay. stay? I, I don't know. She said she was gone. gone. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean more to, more to come on this. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, stay tuned. She's got more hires. She's got at least us. one more assistant. She's got other staff positions to fill, yeah. and and we've got at least three scholarships to give. But I want to say it's more like four or five. Um, so uh, so, so yeah. The, the bottom tuned. line is our show is important, and you must listen to get this information. It, it's going to be a trickle. We don't give it all all at once. We got to keep them coming back every week. Um. Let's slide over, slide. You like that slide? Baseball slide. Um, over that the, was a home run. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Oh jeez, uh, we're on fire tonight, really. Um, Billikens got a thirteen to eight win on Tuesday against Rockers, Pete. I looked at this one early, like on. I was you know scrolling through Twitter and saw that they were up um five nothing after the first inning and i was like oh of course you know it's a d2 school They're not five in the midweek buddy this is going to be a bloodbath <laughs> and then rockhurst doesn't quit uh they get a few back you know with a homer in the fourth bases loaded single in the fifth and then they get four more in the seventh and all of a sudden this is like a game it's like a, a high scoring tight game um but slew did seal it with four runs in the eighth uh grant fremion gets the win um, slew used six different pitchers and Rockhurst used five. So 13 to eight's the final. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a wild one. Speaking of wild one this weekend for baseball in general was a wild one. Uh, two postponements twice postponed. Uh, it, it really felt like uh, a flashback to like 2020, 2021 basketball season. It did. Like, yeah. Are we yeah. getting games in this weekend? Like, what's right. going on here? Um, sixth and seventh games were postponed, and the they were essentially pushed to uh, Sunday, Pete. Well, the- yeah, so basically one of them was postponed and one of them was canceled because um, we were supposed to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Instead, we get two on Sunday. So uh, SLU and St. Joe's have now played one fewer game than most of the teams in conference, and I, I haven't seen anything about a makeup, so I think they're just going to leave it at that. By the um, way, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if you notice in the notes, it kept giving me fractions instead of five, six, five, seven, and five, eight. Yeah. So, yeah. I know. Yeah. Those guys. I love just those still don't know how to fix that. Um, but yeah, yeah, talk about that double header on Sunday. It's one of those classic 9 a.m. noon double headers yeah, uh, on, I, on I a mean, Sunday morning. I, everyone can relate to that. Yeah. You got to gotta get up for that 9 a.m. Sunday baseball. Uh, but hey, you know, when you've already got flights home purchased, I mean, this is this is the way it's got to be. Um, so 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 slew wins the morning game 1210. I'm guessing that the noon game probably did not start on time. It did. Uh, yeah, and none we, of them were streamed, which was a pain in my ass. Yeah. Yeah. So this this the morning game was great. So slew pulls it out 12 to 10 because of a huge comeback. Um, St. Joe's scored six in the first and got another in the second. So slew's in a 7-0 hole. Um, and, and, and gets one back in the fourth and then, t- uh, ties it with, with six in the top of the sixth, um, a lot of small ball and then cap it off with the Cody Jansen home run. Um, and then they get three more, um, sorry, St. Joe's gets three more in the bottom of the inning to go back up. 
Um, and then SLU scores two uh, to get within one in the top of the eighth and then scores three more in the ninth. So um, they, they came back a couple times really in this one. Uh, it was a tough start for Scott Youngbrandt. I want to uh, say Grant, that's a second tough start. In a row. Yeah. yeah. And then Grant Fremian comes in again and uh, he pitched four and two thirds, gave up four um, to eat up most of the innings. And then Logan Schmidt and Cameron Ferrer come in and shut it down. Uh, they wind up with the win and the save. So just a really impressive, gutty, uh, you know, gritty win up in Philly. Yeah, I think I tweeted out. I said, um, I said I, I pulled up Twitter and the Billikens were down 7-0 in the second inning. And I just had to remind myself, get to the bullpen. Yeah. Anything, anything look, guys, if you have not watched this base, by the way, this team, like, they're not spectacular, right? They're not. But I'm actually having a lot of fun following, covering Hendrickson and his team here. I have no idea why. But I, like, I find myself, every game I watch, I learn another player. And every time, it's like collecting almost. Like, yeah. you learn the more you learn about these guys that are on the team, the more invested you get. I implore you, implore you guys, if you are on, you know, basketball uh, withdrawal, Bill, check out baseball, check out soccer in the fall, uh, check, you know, check out softball for, for crying out loud. Um, it really is fun to follow once you kind of get down to it. Don't worry about the weekday games. Just focus on the weekends and, and you'll enjoy yourself. Yeah, and a lot of these are on ESPN Plus. These weren't, but typically they are. Right, um, and shout out Colin Surrey for his great work, and yeah. Bobby Sutherland, who, by the way, we will have on the pod soon, sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, it, it's interesting. You mentioned the flights, though. Uh, talking with, uh, I don't remember who I was talking with, but they were concerned about Sunday's game against Davidson. They, there was like a hard out mm. for when that game had to end. So that's something that like, I don't know if people realize about college baseball is they have these flights booked. It's not like, you know, major league baseball where they probably fly uh, charter or oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely fly charter and majors, but um yeah, well, it's it's not it's even not like basketball, you know. Like right. basketball, it's it's not often that you get a game that goes so long that interferes with a, a flight home, um, and and typically we're chartering anyway. But but uh, um, it's not like uh, a, a one overtime is going to ruin your flight schedule or anything like that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. So I mean, it is interesting uh, coming up for the Billikens. Uh, they head to Kingston, Rhode Island for three a three-game series with the Rams, May 13th, 2 p.m., May 14th, 12 p.m., and then May 15th at 11 a.m. No midweek game for the Bills this week. Yeah, and that's a that's another big series against Rhode Island um, because they're a half game behind SLU in the standings. You know, one thing we should say, SLU will also won that that noon game at St. Joe's four to one, and that 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 two game sweep up at St. Joe's is huge because SLU's now third in the A-10 at 11 and six. St. Joe's slides down to fifth at nine and eight. So Rhodey's right in between them and all of these games have big implications for the conference tournament coming up. 
Yeah. I, again, I'm so excited. Like I get, I, like I don't even like baseball and like I loved baseball growing up playing it. Like I've the Cardinals. I enjoy going to games. Like I enjoy following Billiken baseball now way more than I thought I could. Um, and I enjoy sitting on the couch and, and flipping on these games on ESPN plus I, I seriously crack a beer, you know, I don't know, grab some, grab some popcorn. I don't know. Just sit down and watch these games this weekend. I promise you, uh, you'll enjoy it. Um, let's slide over again, slide. Uh, let's dive head first into softball. Um, they played George Mason this weekend. Uh, they got swept, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, definitely, unfortunately, because, um, again, these are these games were huge for and we'll get to this, but the seeding for the conference tournament um, doubleheader on the seventh. And um, these were all close games. You know, SLU lost the first one six to five and the second one three to two. Um, just just really unfortunate losses here. Uh, it was one one going into the fifth of the first game. Uh, Mason winds up getting three in the top of the inning, SLU two in the bottom. Um, and then, uh, you know, after Mason got two more, Slew could only get two back in the s- bottom of the seventh. Uh, Chloe Wendling, complete game, gets the loss. All of the offense came from Kowalik and Konecki, uh, who combined for all five of Slew's RBIs. And then in the second uh, leg of the doubleheader, um, you know, Slew had a 2 nothing lead and, and winds up um, losing the game 3-2. to two. They gave up three in the top of the seventh. They loaded the bases. Um, a sack fly brought the first one home and then a uh, single the next two. So, um, you know, Hockman had a gem going until then. Um, she still ended up with 10 strikeouts. It was just the, that last inning that she couldn't get through. Um, so really unfortunate. And then uh, why don't you take us through uh, Sunday's game? Uh, yeah. Uh, 3-0 lost Sunday, 5-8. Uh, you got the sweep. Wendling gets the loss. Callie Sutcliffe. Uh, pitched the last two uh, inning in two thirds. Uh, Slew could only muster four hits on the day. Sadie Wise with two of them. Uh, the sweep puts Slew solidly back to fourth place in the A10 with a record of 13 and 10. Mason landed a couple of places, but behind Slew at 12 and 12. So again, also a little bit demoralizing in that a team behind you came in right. and swept you. Right. Um, at, the A10, at home. Yes. The A10 championship is set May 11th through the 14th in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, the four seed Billikens, they'll have to beat Dayton in the first round for a chance to face the number one seed, George Washington, who has been an absolute juggernaut in conference. Uh, they had a chance at, at, at as high as the two seed uh, with a sweep of George Mason. Unfortunately, it went the opposite way uh, and they landed as the four seed. Uh, they've lost six of the last seven. Not great uh, entering postseason. Uh, Pete, Pete. No, no. Bats got quiet. The bats have gotten quiet at the wrong time of the year. You know, they 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 didn't have to sweep that series to get on the other side of the bracket from George Washington either. Everybody else in conference is beatable, um, but unfortunately now they've got to beat a four, five seed before getting to the one seed. And you know, I don't know if they're going to get past. I, I just don't see him doing that. Uh, being on the other side of the bracket, maybe you wind up with GW in the final and anything can happen. Um, so just a really unfortunately timed uh, uh, sweep. Uh, 
go ahead and run us down women's tennis real quick, and then I'll I'll uh, jump with jump on the men's. Tennis. Yeah, so they entered the A10 tournament as the sixth seed. Um, they beat 11 seed George Mason 4-1 in the first round, uh, taking five of six singles matches and two of three in doubles. Um, and then in this in the quarterfinals, they lost to three seed Fordham four to two. Perez and Hesham won in the singles, but uh, but they couldn't get anything else um, going. Uh, and then one seed VCU won the conference tournament, lost to Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament. On the men's side, the season ended in the ATF tournament with a 4-0 loss to Dayton. SLU was the sixth seed. Dayton was the three. Men's bracket is smaller, so both avoided the first round. Uh, one seed VCU won it. Obviously, they took both uh, men's and women's. They beat Penn in the first round of the NCAA tournament before falling to Virginia in the second round. Uh, SLU finished the season with an 8-13 and record. I think VCU definitely has a geographic uh, advantage when it comes to tennis. Anytime you're in a, yeah. a warmer climate, it's it's probably easier. And also being in the uh, being in the Virginia area, I think tennis is a big scene down there. Um, run us through uh, the track side, and then I'll yeah. take over the A-10 championships. Yeah, so so they did. Um, we didn't cover this last week, but they they as we talked about um, in the interview, they they had the Drake relays in Des Moines, um, set a school record in the men's sprint medley medley relay. Uh, Miles Gascon, Danny Hopkins, Malik Stewart, Jackson Higley, uh, they ran three twenty nine fifty nine. Um, they sent a few runners over to Kip Janvren Open in Indianola, Iowa, and then Miles Gascon broke his own school record in the hundred meters ten fifty eight. Uh, remember that record because it's not the last time you'll hear it. Um, at the Sycamore Open at Indiana, Indiana State, the men finished seventh, the women fourth. I think that was kind of, you know, the ones who couldn't go up to Iowa um, got to run there. And then they had seven other personal records set that weekend that were not already mentioned. Aiden Martin in the 400 meters, Diego Collado in the hammer throw, Teresa Lampy in the 100 meter hurdles, um, Abby Kiefer in the 400 uh, Sophia Thibault in the 5K, Abby Chabolka in the Javelin, and then Sasha Marks in the pole vault. All had personal records that weekend. So pretty nice weekend heading into the A-10 championships. Yes, and the A-10 championships were held this weekend in Richmond. Obviously, you heard us chat with both Toby Gillen and Emily Nichols uh, about that and the season in general. Uh, Slew finished 8th on the men's side, 11th on the women's. Toby Gillen won the 10K with a time of 30.54, which is very fast. Uh, they, he finished 3rd in the 5K and was named a 10 Rookie of the Year, as we mentioned earlier. Miles Gascon, two new school records with 21.75 in the 200 meter and 10.54 in the 100. Abby Chavolka, personal best in the heptathlon, along with a personal best in the high jump emily nichols 24 48 in the 200 meters for a new school record jayla robinson also set a pb in the 200 and 100 james baker pb in the 400 meter high hurdles i didn't know there was levels of hurdles but apparently there is uh evan brinderman should have asked the the kids uh <laughs> pr in the long jump uh teresa lampy pr in the 100 meter high hurdles rhode island won the men's championship by a lot fourth straight title and umass edged out dayton for the women's title ncaa west preliminary round start may 25th in fayetteville arkansas beautiful beautiful facility there 
and I do not believe we have any qualifiers. Uh, I believe the only one that would have probably qualified was Toby Gillen, and I think he would have mentioned it. Yeah, I think so, but uh, we'll see him there next year. Um, you love talking chess, Pete. I love to give the people what they want. Should, should we live stream like me and you playing chess? <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I wonder if me and you could both beat one chess, like given like that we get like 10 minutes per turn. Well, if, if any, if anyone watched it, who knows anything about chess, they would probably just be screaming mm. because like, I, I haven't played chess in years. I don't. And, and like, I, just I haven't know the played horse like, goes. Yeah. <laughs> people over. people play online now there's a lot of you know there's there's kind of a, a, chess, a certainly in st louis there's a big chess community there's a little bit of a chess uh a chess boom after the the queen's gambit you know making making chess sexy again um but uh but no slew dedicated the sink sink field chess commons on may 3rd uh rex and and his wife were there for the dedication um, it's located in Morrissey Hall, which is is just across from the business school on Sue's campus. It's a good spot. Um, and the chess the old, uh... law school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the chess team plays um, there and its trophies are displayed there. And now the trophy case has that national championship trophy after just six years uh, into the program's history. And then um, then the, the, the chess commons. So kind of the front of Morrissey Hall, it looks like there's a big king uh piece statue and that. kind of a like an outdoor chess like tile board you know on the on the the front uh, terrace there um so it looks like a pretty nice a nice place i mean the national champions have a a, a nice home that's uh that's maybe a little flashy now too by the way if somebody can link us up with the chess program just to talk i mean like i would love to go in there and do some content whatever we i don't know It'd be fun yeah um, by the way, chess and sexy, it's, it's apparently midtown madness after dark. Um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that wraps up the week that was in Billiken athletics, uh, with a few left turns here and there, uh, follow us on Twitter at midtown mad pod at Peter is a tweeter at Zach Miller, MMP. Um, and if you want to learn more about Billiken's cross-country track and field at Billiken's XCTF, I feel bad we forgot to let them plug their socials. Mm. Uh, that was a that was a big swing and a miss on our part. To be fair, we did schedule this about a half hour before we started recording. <laughs> so, uh, but thanks again to uh, Emily Nichols and Toby Gillen. Uh, for joining the show this week. Uh, don't forget, you can also find us on Instagram at Midtown Mad Pod. That's new. Uh, we also appreciate any and all suggestions you might have for the show. Again, like I said, if you have any connections to anybody who you think we should talk to, put us in touch. We are like we are wide open to ideas. Seriously. Um, please go subscribe to the show on all platforms. Uh, if you haven't left a review, that would be awesome, too, if you dropped us five stars. Uh, as always, Pete, go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills.